0: Welcome to the next episode of Podcast Payoffs. Gord Vickman here with Dan Sullivan. As always, Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Gord. Lots of things to think about today. We never run out, and we're creeping up now to fifty episodes of Podcast Payoffs. I think we started this show to get to know each other, and here we are, and it never really runs out. We We probably do very well.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, pretty well, I
0: think. So, Dan, Geometry for Staying Cool and Calm is the newest quarterly book. If you'd like your copy of the ebook or the soft cover. It's gorgeous. Hamish McDonald is our cartoonist here, and he knocked it out of the park once again. You can get your copy at strategiccoach.com. Click store, and it's right there in front of your face. Dan, I'm going to link this together. And this is one of these podcasts when I was structuring it on a fast filter, as I do every time when we get together to chat on podcast payoffs. I wasn't even sure how I was going to link it together, but I know that when you and I get together, we always find a way to bring it together. And we wrap it up with a nice little bow at the end. So this is a thinking process for me. And I think I'm going to be surprised as well. So, before we get into the reason I wanted to bring this book into the discussion today about AI, there was a research paper that came out from MIT, a highly respected institution of learning, and they were talking about AI and how it affects younger workers. But to introduce that, we need to have a foundation first on the geometry for staying cool and calm and the three simple rules that you have introduced in this book. It's a real quick read. I read it last night for the third time. It takes about an hour. There's cartoons there from Amish McDonald, our fantastic long-time cartoonist here at Coach. So if you could just unpack that concept and the three simple rules, and then I'll bring it back to where the MIT research fits into this, just so people have a foundation if they have not had a chance to read the book yet.
1: Yeah, well, I'll just give context here, a big context of taking a look at what I see happening in the world right now. And I believe that the educational system has remained the last institution to change from an industrial economy to a digital network economy. So more and more, they're pointed not towards practical good after people graduate, but they're indulging in very, very highly theoretical concepts one would be the environmental movement which is entirely not measurable they say we have to save the climate well the climate's always going to be there so the real issue you know we have to give some thought about specific environmental damage and make it into practical projects there's all sorts of technologies for taking things which are deemed to be pollution And through technological means, you can remove the negative impact of existing technologies. And other things, you know, the whole notion that we have to have a global government where borders don't matter. There's just a single government. And of course, it'll be headquartered somewhere in Europe because the Europeans are really into global domination, at least global bureaucratic domination. So they're moving jobs towards these highly impractical lifetimes where people will get highly paid for having meetings so that they can plan some more meetings. you know yeah. every meeting calls for three more meetings and it calls for more employment of people who are meeting multipliers. And you know that's it. But what I really think is that what's really happened is we've gone to a network economy where unique individuals can now create enterprises. And these enterprises can grow into bigger enterprises and gradually they become corporations. All the first companies to hit a trillion dollars are these big digital network kind of companies Apple, you know, Google. They're not industrial, old industrial. They're not steel companies. They're not big manufacturing companies. So the thing that I feel very, very strongly is that entrepreneurs are the pathfinders. Yourself, Gord, you know, you're always exploring new ways to expand our podcast series, you know, and there's lots of new existing apps that you're discovering and many new apps are being created with artificial intelligence. And I just feel that we're thinking too big about the whole artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence, first of all, if you look up the word artificial in the dictionary, one of its main meanings is that it's phony. You know, this is artificial, you know, it's not real. You know, people have artificial hair, they have artificial eyelashes, they have all sorts of artificial things. And I believe the word artificial and the word intelligence doesn't really describe what's going on. I think they're faster, computers with more custom designable software. That's what they really are. Mm-hmm. And that individuals who are doing a specific task and they're they're working, you know, to achieve practical results in the world can take advantage of the faster computers and the more custom designable software. So I think that's what's up right now. So the three rules for geometry yeah. So that was a long way of avoiding an answer. <laughs> anyway, so I'm looking at the general public, and the, we seem to be in the what I call the age of rage, that people are very, very confused about what's happening in the world, what's going to happen to their future, and they're raging. Fortunately, technology has created a thing called social media, so they won't just rage to three of their friends, they'll rage to 5 million of their friends. And I think it's a general confusion. That's just part of the switchover from an industrial economy and the, the entire school system top to bottom is still an industrial system, okay? They're in the 1950s, 1960s industrial economy, but the whole world outside where money is made, where results are achieved, where new things are created is working in an entirely new economy. So I came up with three rules to have a mindset. I call it a geometry, a mindset. It's not the way geometry is really understood, working with space in terms of structures and, you know, angles and lines and circles and that to create useful things. And so what I think is happening here is that we need a geometry for mindset for living in this new economy, which consists of Digitally empowered networks. So there's three rules. first rule is that everything is made up. Okay, which means that everything that you encounter, you know, in thinking about things and doing things and everything else, what you're doing and what you're thinking about was made up by someone at some place at some time, and there isn't anything that constitutes reality for us that wasn't made up someplace, sometime by someone. So that means that you, too, can make up new things. There's limitless opportunity, and I think the technology is empowering people to make up new things. Everything around you, when you think about it, it's
0: trippy because our brains don't process information, but drywall, carpets, doorknobs, microphones, laptops. Plants, bookcases, books, yes. pictures on
1: the wall. Electricity. Earphones. Eyeglasses. This was a thought in someone's mind at some yeah. point. Somebody discovered this thing under your nose is a mustache, what you have on your chin is a beard and that was made up and a word was made up for it. So a lot of the ways we make up things is with words and we give names to things and new things deserve a new name. So that's going on in the world, but in the industrial economy, only the system made things. You were just a, a worker bee in the system. Okay. Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, you were fired if in any way you tampered with the way that new things were being made. And so I think we have to understand that this new age sort of favors individual uniqueness and especially individual creative and productive uniqueness. I think the reward is there, but that's not what people are learning in nursery school, grade school, high school, undergraduate school and graduate school. People are in school from the age now of three until they're 26 or 27, and then they go out into the world and they want to impose the school system on the world, but the world doesn't care about the school system, doesn't care about your grades, doesn't care about your credentials, but it would like to know, are you able to create new things that have value for other people? Who's the boss of all this making up, Dan? Can we get a word with this guy or this gal? No, no. Nobody's in charge. Can we book a meeting with her? Nobody is in charge, but something is in charge, and that's rules. There are rules for cooperation. There's rules for creativity. There's rules for creating value, and rules are in charge, and in order to be capable in this new world, you have to know what the rules are. So we got two, everything's made up, and nobody's in charge, and the other thing is you can take charge. Anything new you want to create, you can take charge of that. The world doesn't owe you anything. It doesn't value you for your essential value as a human being, but it does reward you for being a creative, productive human being who comes up with useful new things. The people who do this are going to do it. That's not fair. All new things are not fair to people who thought the old things were their lifetime guarantee of being paid and being honored and being praised and being admitted to very, very exclusive clubs. So I I think that's really what's happening right now. So I, I put them together. If you think of it as a triangle, which is the strongest geometric figure in the world, you have one side, everything's made up. On another side, you have nobody's in charge. And on the third side, you have life's not fair. So don't sweat all that stuff. Just go about making up new things. When you make up a new thing that works, you're in charge. And in doing so, everything new that you make up will advantage certain people who find it really useful, and it will disadvantage the people not making up new things and thinking they're in charge, they will be disadvantaged. And that's not fair. And that's not fair. Okay. (laughs) And that's fine. Yeah. Now, how does podcasting come into this, this being the 20th anniversary of podcasting, Mhm. Mm-hmm. How does podcasting come into it? Nobody's in charge. So
0: when you hear people say, "Well, my voice is not heard." Guess what? You can buy a microphone for about $40. If you don't want to do that, every computer has a Okay, you do need a computer, all right? Mm-hmm. That's what someone's going to say. "Well, I don't have one." Okay, we'll get one. Nobody's in charge of the podcast you make. Everything you say is made up. You can literally talk about anything. You can have a podcast about Pokémon cartoons. You can talk about algorithmic trading. And if you succeed and someone else who spends way more money than you, that's not fair and that's fine.
1: You have to discard a lot of your previous beliefs and you have to discard a lot of what you thought was going to make value valuable in the world. And that's a hard pill to swallow for people who've told that they are the ultimate in charge people in the world. So Dan, the MIT study that I came across that I thought was interesting, and
0: it reminded me of the book The Geometry for Staying Cool and Calm, was MIT went into a call center and they were trying to figure out, well, who's really benefiting the most from generative AI? So they went and they looked at people who had been at the call center for 10 years. These are people who you know, realistically should be better than the people who've been there for a year or less. So they found that the people that they had given AI models to and these tools were leapfrogging people who had been there for 10, 15 years because they weren't using these tools. So there was a 14% boost in productivity only for the people who were the lowest level at this call center. So they had gone, with using AI, they had gone from resolving about 1.5 customer complaints per hour to 2.5. And that was now on the level of people who had been there for many, many, many years. So I wanted to ask you, What will this mean for productivity? Now, the book was written for entrepreneurs, but Dan, one of the things that happens when you release these quarterly books is you have no control over who gets their hands on them. So entrepreneurs will read this, but team members will read this too, and entrepreneurs excel and exceed expectations with Mm -hmm. great teams around them. So you release these books, entrepreneurs get them and they benefit from them, but team members do, people who are building content, a podcast, video, whatever, these books are beneficial to everyone. Mm -hmm. When I'm thinking about productivity, What will it mean for entrepreneurs in the future when productivity and the expectation of productivity within their companies will not be contingent on how long a person has been there, but how wise and how efficient someone will be in using AI and considering these rules because they're not thinking about, I can't reap resolving 2.5 calls an hour. I haven't been here long enough because using these rules, everything's made up. Nobody's in charge and life's not fair. You embrace that that's your Euclid building, you don't need to be somewhere for 10 years anymore. So what will that mean for productivity in the future for entrepreneurs and the teams that are working with them?
1: Yeah, I'll just give you as an example. You found something resonant in the new book for you, and you could immediately see that this actually applies to you personally. Okay, so now your mindset can be, so what new things can I make up? And nobody's in charge of giving you permission, whether you can do that or not. Okay, you don't have to ask for approval, but also nobody's obligated to help you. So what you have to think about this new thing that I'm creating net, how does this help someone else become and you use the word efficient, I think this bypasses efficiency. I think people who meet to create more meetings are really efficient at doing it. It's just that they're not effective. I don't think efficiency is the goal here. I think effective increases in productivity are the end result. In other words, something that's valuable and it takes this much time, takes this much effort and takes this much talent. The talent is now automated. So where it took your time, you know, maybe two hours, it's done in 15 seconds and you just got two hours freed up where you can redeploy that time. And that's what productivity is, is that we get the same result or a superior result with less time, less effort and less cost. And I think this is what all technology, if it's useful, is useful for. It's all about productivity. But podcasts are one of the most productive uses of your time. You might be talking to one person and it's a great conversation and certain practical results come out of that conversation. But if you simply take what you're saying to one person and expand it to a hundred people, to a thousand people, to a million people, then the productivity hit is exponential. Yeah. And that was an excellent distinction about
0: efficiency and effectiveness.
1: Well, I think the school system is very efficient in making people useless. Yeah, I'll accept that. My sense is the school system won't catch up because the nature of a system is to prevent itself from being changed. That's the nature of it. It's bureaucratic. It's unionized. It's bureaucratic. You're rewarded on the basis of seniority and you're based on your best use of things everybody else knows. You know, you're competing with other people to utilize what's in the past better than they use what's been created in the past. So my sense is the very idea of system, it isn't systems anymore, it's networks. The whole notion of system was an industrial concept. You did have systems and the systems had to be flawless from start to finish, you know, but you couldn't change them. It took a hundred years ago, if you were building a new steel mill. You would build it, and the cost of that steel mill would not be realized in 50 years. You couldn't change anything. It was locked in. And I think the problem is that we're leaving behind vast numbers of three or four generations who were educated in a way that made them totally unfit to live in a digital network and be increasingly valuable in a digital network. And those networks form and they unform and they expand and they merge and deepen. So there is no fixed system. The educational system is a fixed system. It resists change. So my feeling is that people are saying we have a crisis in the educational system. I said, no, we have only a crisis for people who think they're in charge of the educational system. They're going through a severe crisis because they can't believe that the way they were taught to make their way to the top of social class, political class, economic class doesn't exist anymore. Well, it doesn't. And nobody outside who are working with digital networks has their goal to disrupt the educational system. They're just creating new kinds of value and creating new types of cooperative and collaborative relationships, which the price is, you got to be able to make up new things that are useful to everyone else in the network. I mean, within the confines of the education
0: system, I'm looking at the cover of the book here, and it would be representative of the complete opposite of the geometry of the rules. School system, nobody's in charge. Yes, the dean's in charge, the principal's in charge, everything's made up. No, it's not. It's been like that forever. So that's how we're going to teach it. Life is not fair. Now they're trying to shoehorn fairness into classrooms and into higher education. We're going to make this fair if it kills us. You talked about networks in the book as well, 8 billion people on earth and you only need your 150. Is there one specific thing that entrepreneurs can do as they're trying to weed through or weed out those who may not fit that which they're looking for? Is there some specific thing that they can identify and say, okay, you have this mindset right now.
1: I need you in my 150. How deep do they have to dig? Yeah, well, I think it's all new project based. In other words, that you yourself are creating up a new project that has uh, productivity gain in it. And does this individual have skills right now that I can utilize? I had reached the point where I had created a lot of podcasts, but there was no order to it. There was no organization to it. There was no strategy to it. I was born on the planet talking, and I like to talk, and I find that when I get to talk, especially in discussion with another person, new things get created. So at a certain point, I said, I've got to find someone who has extensive background in this type of activity, and it happened to be the activity before podcast was radio, and you came along and you had vast radio experience as a technician, as a live mic host, and you understood how radio stations were put together. You understood how radio networks were put together. And it just seemed to me that that was just perfect training for just putting a new template on podcasting. Treat it like a global free radio network. Treat it as a totally free radio station, and treat all the podcasts as program series on the radio. It just seemed to me to be perfect. And I wouldn't have the foggiest idea how to do that, nor do I want to learn how to do that because I can just say, Gord, make it so. And there's a little sprinkle of who not how salt. Yeah, Dan, as we wrap here, any final thoughts
0: on how entrepreneurs could be thinking about this when the whole idea of productivity and creativity is gonna be thrown on its head? You know, if you believe the MIT study that in a short period of time, the least experienced team members will be lapping those who are not using these tools, who have much more experience. Is there anything that entrepreneurs should keep their eyes and ears open for or any?
1: They shouldn't be looking for outside opportunities. I think they should be looking for inside capabilities that they are already comfortable with, already confident with, and they can make up new things with this confidence. I mean, just all they have to do is look at one day's work and say, if I did another day like this, where could I save time and where should my focus be just on what I did in this new day? And I can do more of that. And then who has to cooperate with me that takes care of things that I myself don't want to do tomorrow? And that's it. That's all you have to do. And lather, wash, rinse, relather. lather you know, from day to day. I mean, the thing that people hate about this is that at its surface, it's a very small thing. It's a very immediate thing. And it's a very commonsensical thing. And you can measure increase progress in it day to day. So I think what defeats people, they're kind of looking for a technological messiah, you know, this changes everything. I said, well, everything was already made up and people are already making up new things. So the the world outside isn't changing. It's just that how do you find success? How do you find progress? How do you find growth? And how do you find bigger rewards? Just what you're doing anyway. Not one of the steps of progress that you and I have made in our podcasting capability that required the theories of a university professor. Because it doesn't matter. No. So my sense is that the world has always been changing in the direction that we're talking about. And this is just a new higher capability. This new capability only exists because of all the other capabilities that were already made up. I think that's a good place to wrap, Dan. If you enjoy this
0: episode, share it with a friend, share it with someone you love. Mm-hmm. Share it with someone you don't like at all. Maybe they'll come around and you'll become friends. Yeah. Maybe they'll be in your 150. Maybe they have the same mindset as well. Geometry for staying cool and calm. If you want to get your hands on the book, if you're listening to the show on Spotify or Apple, just click more on the episode. I'll put the link to the book down there. I'll also put the link to the MIT study if you want to read that. And if you're listening, if you're streaming rather from our homepage, strategicpodcasts.com, just tap podcast payoffs, and we'll get the links to everything we talk about. We're not going to make you go on a safari to find anything. We'll put it there and make it nice and simple.
1: And one thing I would say that every book comes with a number of communication tracks. So there's the text, there are cartoons, there is an audio, which you can just link on and listen. And the audio is not me reading the text, it's me being interviewed on the text. So I expand and add more material. And we have a video, a shorter video, which captures the key points of the book. So I'm very familiar that there are some people who are visual learners, some people are reading learners, some people are listening readers, and some people are watching and listening. That's how they take in information. And that would describe entirely our entire entrepreneurial audience within Strategic Coach and around the world. On that note, Dan,
0: it's been a slice. Thanks so much. Thank you. On to the next.